Good morning, church. And, uh, for those that don't know, my name is Tim Dix. I am the minister of college and young adults at Oviedo Campus, also missions at Oviedo Campus. And uh, I'm humbled to be here this morning uh, to just kind of lock arms with you together as the people of God and as a body of Christ and just believe in what God has for us here this morning. And uh, just, just as, as Patrick and, and, and the team led, just that idea that, that the song that we were singing, the anthem, that we were proclaiming that I am blessed, I am called, I am healed, I am whole, I'm filled with the power of God for the glory of God. And uh, that, is, that is not just a song that we sing. That is the anthem of our lives or the banner over it with the name of Jesus. And, uh, and I just believe in what God has for us here this morning and, and how he's going to direct us through his word. And if you have your scriptures, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I bring with me uh, the prayers and the love of Pastor Mercer and the Oviedo campus of Cross Life. Pastor apologizes for not being able to be here this morning. He is taking time at the end of both our 915 and 1050 services there to just share how the church uh, can come around and be praying for you as a people and how we can come around collective as the body of Christ for the glory of God. Uh, Because let me just say this, um, that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, Um, In the midst of uncertainty, here's what I know, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And um, and here is, here's the thing that I I would say most specifically to you, is that God has uniquely positioned and placed you here for a purpose and a plan for such a time as this. And, and, And what the enemy seeks to bring about, to steal, to kill, and destroy, God has come so that we could have life. And have it abundantly. And what I know as I look across the room. And you need to know that like I, I, I'm close with many of the college students here. Like our, our college ministries, they overlap between Oviedo Campus and East Campus. And so I, I have the pleasure uh, with these college students, with Patrick and Elijah, to kind of do life with them week in and week out. But I know the stories of this place. And here's what I know. That each and every purpose, each and every person here is here for a purpose. God has led you here because God is seeking to use you to leverage your lives for the sake of the gospel. To reach people for the name of Jesus and to see their lives change forever. That is what this place is here for. This isn't about an Oviedo campus or an East campus. This is about God's people. This is about his campus coming together for his glory. And, and so, so pastor is sharing that this morning. He did want me to let you know he'll be back next week uh, to continue to kind of lead and shepherd. Uh, he is looking forward to joining you tonight uh, for, your, for your Super Bowl party. And so you can give him a hard time uh, when you see him. But, but definitely love on him, hug his neck, and, uh, and, and enjoy that time of fellowship together as the people of God there. And so, so he'll be, be there this, tonight along with some of our other staff. But in Ephesians 4, Paul's coming out of three chapters, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Where he is really taking a megaphone and letting people know that this is what grace is. That this is who you are in Christ. Over 20 times in chapters 1 through 3, he says a version within those pages of something of you are in Christ. You are with Christ or you are through Christ. And what he is trying to communicate there. Is that the grace of God that it is not a small thing. That it is not an insignificant thing. That it is not a once in a moment to be forgotten about thing. But that it is as if you are being put under a waterfall. And that the, the pressure of Niagara Falls, if you will, is raining down on you in grace. 
And that this is what Christ has done. And this is who we are in Christ. And so he, he's saying this. And what he's trying to communicate is this is what is true of you. So many people wrestle with what is my identity? Who am I? Well, Paul lays out here through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is who we are in Christ. We are blessed. We are called. We are highly anointed, favored in Jesus name. We have deposited within our lives at the moment we surrender our lives over to the Christ. Every spiritual blessing in heaven that we could ever want or need. It's as if, if you will, that if you won the lottery and you won 88 million dollars in the lottery. Is that going to change your life? Yes or no? Yes. If anybody says no, come talk to me because you have more money than than me. So, but no, 88, if you won $88 million last night, your life would change. Now, here's the thing, though. Like we get money deposited into our account. And so you take your, your check, you go to the bank. I know everybody does direct deposit for the most part today. I still like to go to the bank and like I take my kids and I get a sucker. It's like a whole thing. So I like to go to the bank and deposit my money in the bank. And so when you do that, like they don't just put it in your account right away. It's always like you'll look in your account and what are those words that are up underneath money that's been deposited in your account? Those famous words everybody loves to see, pending. It's pending. And then you have to wait. And you know, maybe you wait a day or, you know, if they think the check is funny, maybe you wait three days. I, you know, I, I, I don't know what kind of checks you're cashing. So, um, but here's the deal. If you if $88 million went into your account, that's changing your life forever. It's not $5. It's not $10. It's $88 million. And so your life would significantly be different because of what's been deposited in your account and what all of a sudden your account is like way, way, way in the black. See, I feel like sometimes in my life, my account works in the gray, um, you know, but like, no, $88 million, it's in the black. And think about how that would revolutionize your life. What Paul is trying to say in these first three chapters is that when you join your life by faith to Jesus into your life's account, when every spiritual blessing that God can pour on your life right now, it's been direct deposited into your account. It is in the black. It is all there. It's not deposited day by day. It's not deposited, you know, in kind of like sums along the way. It is all there. He takes three chapters to unpack that because it is worth way more than any money that you or I could ever win in the lottery. He says, this is true of you right now. So then he comes into this after three chapters of, hey, have you checked your account? It's essentially what Paul's saying. Have you taken stock of who you are? And he comes into chapter four. He comes out of that with this little praise party in Ephesians 3.20. And he says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine to his power that's at work within you, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So wow to that big deposit. And as soon as that ends, he comes in chapters four and he says, I want to urge you to live. I want to urge you to live. See, Paul doesn't want us to come to the end of our lives and come face to face with Jesus and hear him ask, do you know all that I put into your account? And for us to then say yes to that and then then for him to come back and say, well, it's all still in your account. You didn't live in any of it. You didn't love in it. You didn't, the acceptance, the approval, the forgiveness, the peace, the power. You didn't live on mission and you never tapped in to what is in your account. 
And so my hope and my prayer this morning is that we would come out of here with a sense of us as a body of Christ, as a people of God, tapping in to our account. Because God says it's there right now. And he wants us to start spending it. So chapters 4, 5, and 6, it's the exhortation of Ephesians. The first three chapters are the impartation. Now we're coming to the exhortation. And the Holy Spirit gets right up in our faces. And he says, now that you know what I put in you, I want to encourage you to walk it out and live it out. Ephesians 4.1, Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now the word worthy there, it doesn't mean whether you have earned the right to live out the position worthy of your calling. See, the calling of God in this passage is not your unique gifting, but it is the calling of God on our lives that brought us from death to life in Christ. Let's just use the big churchy word here. You know, sometimes like, you know, in in today's culture, people want to kind of like put aside like those words that you hear in vacation Bible school sometimes. And try to kind of make it, you know, that culture can understand. And so death to life is something that we use. But let's just say this. If you grew up in church, if you tracked in church your entire life, here's what God did. God saved you. We need to come back to that language a little bit more so that people fully understand. God rescued us. He saved us. We got saved. And we got saved not because of anything that you or I have done. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to try to kind of climb up some ladder to get to the point where we rang the bell and God said, you're saved. No, God did all of it. God is the one who has saved us. He saved us from wrath. He saved us from a life of hopelessness and meaninglessness. And apart from him, there is no other way to get there. He is the reason. And so our calling, not our unique gifting, but our calling is that we are saved by God. We didn't deserve it, but that is the calling of God on our lives, on your life, on my life. And so when he is saying, I want you to live a life worthy of that calling, He's not saying, I want you to try to become good enough for the calling. But that word worthy means, I want you to measure in equal weight what God has already done. And so, if you will, it's like a scale. And on this side is what God has done in your life and my life. And then on this side is our lives. And he's saying, I want you to live your life in balance of what God has already done in your life. And that's the standard to which God is calling me. And that's the standard to which God is calling us as the church. And so he starts out there and he's saying he's urging in this as he's writing from jail to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Now, I know that that makes some people nervous in here. And and you're just thinking, "I, I don't know how I'm ever going to get my life to measure up to what Christ has deposited in my account. And I get that nervousness and that tension in here. The beauty of it is that Paul's already laid the foundation for us in chapters 1 through 3. And the same way that we get the deposit is the same way we're going to live out that deposit. It's going to be by the grace of God who's at work through us. The same way it was the grace of God that came to work in our lives in the first place. And so it's a new standard. That he's called us to. It's a new standard of not just being a little bit different than your neighbor. But it is a standard of living up to what God has put inside of you and me. And that's what we're shooting for. And that's what we all want to attain. Because here's what we want to do. We want to spend every bit of what God has deposited into our account in Christ Jesus. It looks very simple. Because it's every single day. It is changing 
the way that you and I think about who we are and how we live. Look further down in Ephesians 4 and verses 20 through 24. Paul just writes this. He says, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So it is not some spiritual secret then how we move from chapter 3 of Ephesians into chapter 4. We do it by changing the way that we think about who we are. And God lays it very simply here by saying, you have the ability to change your mind. It looks like taking off the old self. That voice of the enemy saying, you're never going to change. And you shouldn't change. And that voice of the enemy seeking to hold you back from the potential of who you can be and what you can do in and through Christ Jesus. And God is saying that you are brand new. That your ledger is full. And that you have the power... To live out in Christ what God the Father has put into our lives. And it's simply removing me. And it's, and it's removing the desire to want to promote me or to protect me. And it's to take off the old self and to put on the new self. So some of the men in the room, how many of you have daughters? Okay. I have, I have a little girl. She's six. Um, so think about it this way. If you have a teenage daughter... Um, maybe you have experienced this. So your daughter comes down at night and she's getting ready to go out with her friends. Some of you, you, some of you dads, you're like processing this right now. She's wearing something that you kind of look at it and you're like, there's no daughter of mine that's going to step out into the public world, um, and walk out my door wearing what you're wearing right now. Any dads want to amen that? Uh, Okay. All right. So, so you have... A lot of people amen it. All right. So if you're in here, if your daughter's in here, now you know. So, so it would be as if she comes down and then, and then everybody knows. Like then the battle starts. You're not leaving until you change. And then, and then you, I, can, I can hear my daughter at six. Because my, my daughter, God love her, she is so much like me that she has an answer back for anything and can make an argument for anything. And so... Uh, so God help me when she gets older. But so, so then the argument begins and the discussion. I won't call it an argument. The discussion begins and you're trying to lay out compromises. And maybe you, maybe what if I did this or what if I did? And you're trying to figure it out. Well, ultimately, you dads know this. They're not going anywhere. So what brings your daughter to the point of deciding that I, I want to get out of this house and stop this conversation? What gets your daughter out of the house is desperation and obedience. She becomes so desperate to get out the door that the only way she can do it is to be obedient and to go change her clothes and to wear the dress that goes down past her toes and, and, and to, you know, to cover her face. No, I, I don't. No. So it's desperation and obedience. And God now is putting us into practical terms for us saying so much went in to your life in Jesus Christ. And it hinges now on this new paradigm because a big shift has happened. And here it is. Everything went in 
so that we as the people of God could become a united family called the church through which God would be glorified. So our father, who is not some big, bad, horrible, ogre, mean judge, but he loves us, he is for you, and he has deposited every spiritual blessing into your account right now, and his mission is that every time you walk out the door that he wants to be glorified through you. And you know what? Sometimes we forget. And we put on self. And sometimes he looks at us and says, you need to change that outfit. You need to change that outfit to one of desperation and one of obedience. This is what God is calling us to here today, I believe, as the people of God. He's saying to us, take off the old self. And in desperation and obedience. Because here's what I believe. I believe that God brings us to moments of, of, of brokenness. And to moments where we're on our knees before him. So that he can simply place his hand on us. And say I'm with you. And I'm for you. I hear you. And then in that we then. Out of desperation and obedience can do nothing else. But to hold on to him. This is where God is taking us. A.W. Tozer says, the Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience. Nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. The two are opposite sides of the same coin. John wrote in 1 John 5, verses 2 through 3. He says, this is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God. To obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. Here's what I'm reminded of. This morning, I'm reminded that God does not need my gifts, that God does not need my talents, and that God does not need my titles. What he wants from me is my absolute obedience. He just wants me to trust him and to obey him. And this is who we are this morning. So now coming back to Ephesians 4.22, why, why this all matters. Says so you were taught with regard to your former way of life, Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What God is saying is that you and I, we have the power to change our minds. That there's a lot about our lives that we want to change. There's a lot about our day that, that, that like we wish we could do different or, or, or maybe that we can't change. But here's what you can do. You can always change your mind. You can always change your attitude. And that is what God is saying for you to be the church, I want you to be this. Before you leave your house, I want you to change your mind. Before you go into that meeting, I want you to change your mind. Before you have that conversation, you need to change your mind. Before you say anything, you need to change your mind. You need to put off the old self and to put on the new self, the very way, way that Jesus Christ is empowering you to be the very likeness of God. Not created to be God, but to be like him and to put on the new self that he has created in us. So day after day, we're changing our minds saying, I am not who I used to be. I am brand 
new. I don't act how I used to act because I'm not who I used to be. I'm not going to walk in something I used to walk in because God has given me the ability to walk in something that is brand new. I can't control my work environment. I can't control what's going on in the circumstances of my life. But I can control my attitude. And I can control my mind. And I can become available to all that God is calling me to be. And in doing that, we then can be a reflector of who he is and what he has done in each of us to the world. This is why it matters. It matters that we change our minds and that we find ourselves in a place of desperation and obedience because God is counting on us to be his people on planet earth. Hear me here this morning. We, you, I, us as Cross Life Church, we are plan A for the purpose of God here in Oviedo and in all of Central Florida. Do you understand that this morning, church? There is no plan B. We are his church created so that we can show the glory of God to the world. And that's our purpose. So that's a greater purpose than any man that would stand up here on this platform this morning. That's a greater purpose than than even all of us that sit in this room. Understand this, people will come and people will go, but the glory of God remains forever. And so he's called us here for this purpose so that we will proclaim the name of Jesus throughout all the areas of where we go. Some of you work. Are you proclaiming the glory of God in the name of Jesus where you work? Some of you go to school. Are you proclaiming the glory of God in the name of Jesus where you go to school? Some of you, you just kind of live life. You're retired. You kind of stay at home. Whatever the case may be, wherever you go, to your work, to your school, to the grocery store, or even next door, do you proclaim the glory of God in the name of Jesus? Because that is our purpose. And that's what God is calling us to do this morning. And so my head, it just spins around when I come to the end of Ephesians 3, and I see that Jesus has no expiration date. None. It says forever and ever, and his church has no expiration date. There is going to be a church for your kids and your grandkids. And beyond the big C church, it's going to last until the day that Jesus makes his appearance on planet Earth. But here's the truth tonight. The little C church is fragile. The little C church is frail. And it has to be defended at all costs. So that all of us together, being frail, can be held together by the unifying power of the Spirit. Which brings ultimate glory to God. So we get past this doxology in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. And in verses 2 through 6 of chapter 4, it just says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. As, as soon as we get past the potential of the church to bring great glory to God on earth, we see that the church is frail. I mean, we're, we're living that, that. That it is frail. And here's what we have to do. We have to lean in with a determined effort so that our lives can be meshed together by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the way that we will miraculously bring glory to God. Just this morning, just closing out three things. I believe have to take place in our lives. They're right here in this text. The first is this, is that we have to take the path that Jesus takes with us in the way that we deal with each other. We have to take the path that Jesus takes with us in the way that we deal with each other. In the same way that Christ treats us is the same way that we want to treat 
each other. That's our new standard. That raises the bar for you and me and challenges us. Look again there how he says it in verse 2. He says, be completely humble. Just circle that. I've got that circled, highlighted. Because humility, my wife will tell you, is not my strong suit. But we're opening ourselves up there for God to work in us right out of the gate. Because he says, be completely humble. Because the old you is going to want to promote or protect yourself. But God wants us to understand that it's about something bigger than us. Something bigger than ourselves. He wants us to give our lives to a bigger cause and a bigger name. So he wants us to choose to be like Jesus and to completely humble ourselves. This is a miracle of God for us to receive the gifts from God that came from the humility of Christ. And then for us to humble ourselves to each other. And to say, I can do the same to you that Christ has done with me and for me. He says, so be humble and gentle. How many of you are glad this morning that God is gentle with us? Like he's the creator of the universe, but he can wrap his arms around us. He says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Aren't you so glad this morning that the truth of scripture speaks to what God started in you and that he will be faithful to complete that work? Like, I'm glad that God is patient with me because I, I will and I would try your patience like nobody's business. There, there are people in this room. Kelsey's not in here. Kelsey works on, on our team and, and helps me out. And, and I couldn't do life, you know, ministry and stuff without her help. But I would just tell you, Kelsey would tell you she's in the back. Like, I am not a, a fun person to be around sometimes. And, and she and my wife will then amen that multiple times. Like, but man, I'm so glad that God is patient with me. Because here's the deal. Like you, and we do this. Like you would give up on me. But God doesn't give up on you and me. God is hanging in there with us today. He's saying, you haven't run out of mercy. You haven't run out of grace. You haven't depleted my confidence. You haven't depleted my ability to make something out of nothing. Because I still have enough in the tank to finish the job that I said I was going to complete. That is a message for you today. God Five years ago or six years ago, however long it was, said, I'm going to put a people in this place and I'm going to do a work in them. And God Almighty is faithful to complete that work. He's calling you to that. He's calling us to that. He's saying, I'm still here and I'm going to complete the work of making you and this church all that I dreamed that it would be. He approaches us with such humility and such gentleness and such patience. And he just bears with us. The literal translation there is that he just puts up with us. Because he knows he has the power to transform us. And he has the commitment of time on his side. He keeps working until the day we see Jesus. And we're not going to be everything God wants us to be until that day. He's hanging in there with us. And it's a call that raises us up. Our standard has to be in this house that I treat you like Christ treats me. And no one has perfected that yet. But we got to call each other to that if we're going to remain a fragile alliance made strong by the unifying power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, we have to commit to the way of peace. We have to commit to the way of peace. Verse three says, make every effort, not a little effort, not some effort, but make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Just a couple things about this verse. One, he doesn't say there to make every effort for you to kind of preserve just unity amongst yourselves. See, the goal is not just to be unified, just to be unified. 
I heard an old pastor say this one time at a revival. He said that you can, um, you can tie two cats' tails together and throw them over a clothesline, and you've got union, but you don't have unity. Um, and, and, and so... So here's the deal. He says, make every effort to preserve the unity of the spirit. Because here's the deal. The church, like it's not about us. It's not about us. You know, it, it, it is about Jesus. And Jesus gets glorified when the Holy Spirit is in the house. And Jesus gets glorified when the spirit of God is on the move. And freedom comes because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And when the spirit of God is gone, you just got people hanging out and showing up. And so if you want the Spirit showing up, you've got to make sure that your heart is committed to the pathway of peace. Ephesians 4, 29 through 30 says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There is nothing that grieves the Holy Spirit more than when somehow we lose touch with the peace that we have with God and we cease Becoming those who seek peace. And this happens. Like, like this happens when we're not all in tune. With the same Jesus. A.W. Tozer said this. Says has it ever occurred to you. That 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork. Are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord. Being tuned not to each other. But to another standard. To which each must individually bow. What he's saying there is that we don't have harmony by saying that I'm in this key so everybody else should come and get in this key. It's not how we have harmony. We get in harmony by me tuning my life to the Holy Spirit through the word of God and the person of Christ. And you tuning your life to the Holy Spirit through the word of God and the person of Christ. And now we're getting tuned to the same spirit. And now all of our pianos are in harmony because they're all tuned to the same pitchfork which is the Holy Spirit of God. So now we have a bunch of different random people from all over the place who are unique, that have been brought together and they're playing in the same key and the world can look and say, that's something I can understand. See, unfortunately, the world normally hears from the church, like what they hear from the church is just dissonance that can be created as we like try to seek our own plans and, and do our own things. And what God is saying is that if we're all leaning into the spirit, that eventually that spirit is going to lead us around the same key and the world will hear something really, really beautiful. And the world doubts that it's ever going to hear that from the church. So even though the big C church will prevail, the little C church is a fragile alliance and it's made strong by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it works that way when we treat others the way that Christ treated us. And when we commit our lives to the way of peace. What we need is just to kind of be in touch with one another. You know, we live in a day and age where it's texting and, and everything is so impersonal. And, and, and I, I, I just believe that's a work of the enemy. That, that the greater technology gets, that the more distant people become. And the less like touch that we have with one another. Let me just say this to you, church. Like... I, you know, tonight, it seems crazy that, that you go, go watch a football game. But I, I believe tonight is one of those moments where God is just saying, man, come together in that moment. And, and, and just, yeah, I mean, it's about you being in this space with the people of God, with your family. And just looking each other in the eye. And so that as you look each other in the eye, people look in your eye and they say, 
I'm, I, I'm in it for Jesus. And because I'm in it for Jesus, I, I'm in it with you for Jesus. And we're in this together for Jesus. Hear me here. The enemy cannot stop that. Cannot stop it. Let me show it to you this way. I'm not going to do some 70s disco number here. <clears throat> but this is, this, I know, y'all are disappointed. Um, here's the deal is, and those of you that lived through the 70s, you know what this is. It's a disco ball um, to the younger generation. Uh, and, and so I just think this is a beautiful picture of what the church is all about. The church is made up of people who are not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'll be the first to admit it. Um, maybe you don't want to admit it out loud, but, but you're not perfect. I'll tell you. I say it in love. Um, but, like, we're, we're not. Like, we're just not perfect people. Nobody is. And, and it never will be. As long as I'm in the church, it's never going to be perfect. And, 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 and that's how it is. But we all come into, into the church, we're cracked a little bit. We're, we're, we're broken a little bit. And, and, and we're imperfect. But by the grace of God, the glue of the Holy Spirit comes and, and takes our imperfections and our brokenness and it holds everything together. Your story and my story and our story this morning is that we're being held together by the grace and the love and the power of Jesus. And, and, and this is God's plan. That in the midst of the cracks, in the midst of the imperfections, that he brings us all together and that he's holding us together to be his people for the world to see Jesus. And some of you may say, well, that, that doesn't really sound like a, a, a great plan. But God's saying to us, it's going to work. Because the power of the Spirit and the power of Christ are great enough to overcome all the imperfections of all the people that come together. And it's going to work. And the best part about it is that as it does, he's going to be the one that gets all the glory. I just think this is a beautiful picture. And so, like, here's the thing. You know what holds this up? It, it is not any one of us. What holds this up is the hand of God and the spirit at work in the hearts of his people. As he takes us fragile, imper imperfect, but with a big bank account. And he weaves us all together to suspend a beautiful church to the world. That's the power of the spirit. Finally, we have to take up just one name. We have to take up just one name. There is one body in, in verse 4 and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The alliance of the church works when the people of the church are committed to one name. This is what makes the fragile alliance possible because we're all looking to something greater than ourselves. The question for us in this morning is, are we living in a state of desperation and obedience that means that Jesus Christ is the lead story of Cross Life Church? Like he should be the only name that we're passionate about. We should be talking about that, that as, our, as a church, it is about Jesus. It's got to be about one name, building up one kingdom, building up one story. And that's the story of Jesus. And that must be the story of us as a house. If we're all leaning that way, 
Like, I'm treating you like Jesus treated me. I'm committing my life to the way of peace at all costs. I'll make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And I'm committing my story and my life in a real way. Not just putting it on some t-shirt or some bumper sticker. But for real, I'm committing my life to a name that is bigger than my name. And building up a kingdom that is bigger than my kingdom. If we do those things, we're going to stay aligned together in our lives Though they may be fragile, we'll be built up to be stronger than we ever could imagine for the world to see Jesus Christ through the cracks of our lives, through the holes in our story. They're never going to say that Cross Life Church is perfect, but they will see that when they get around the people of Cross Life Church, that Jesus is everywhere. And it looks like what this, what this mirror ball would look like. See, here's the reality tonight, or this morning, church. If this was all one piece, then the light that is reflecting off of it would only go one place. But because as a church, we are faceted and unique, and we all bring our cracks and our imperfections, and we all come in desperation and obedience, glued together through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we all come into that place this morning, then as as the people of God then, then Jesus then doesn't just go one direction. But because we all come with our imperfections and our brokenness, it all comes to be a beautiful picture. And the light of Jesus is shined everywhere that we go. This is what I believe that he is calling us to. Listen, the hurt is real. The pain is there. The grief is real. But Jesus is forever. And Jesus has come to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus has come to bring peace to those who are restless. Jesus has come to say to our house today that in the midst of saying, where is the hope? He's saying hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And I have a plan and a purpose for you as the people of God to be the light of Christ to the world for everyone to see so that they can have hope and so that people's lives could be changed forever. We rise up to that. Will we rise up together and say that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that God has a purpose and has a plan, and that Jesus is all that matters? And lift up that name. Because here's the thing. You are blessed. You are called. You are highly anointed and favored. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms has been deposited in your life in Jesus Christ. And so I urge you now, and I urge us to live a life that is worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. To make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. To treat each other like Christ has treated us. And to take up the name of Jesus for the glory of God. So that his kingdom can be built on earth as it is in heaven. I just want to pray for you. Father, I just come to you now. God, and I know, Lord, that you are sovereign. God, that you are in control. God, that you have a purpose. And that your calling to us this morning is one of just desperation and obedience. Father, you are not calling us to just sit in these chairs, but you are calling us and sending us out for the name of Jesus and the glory of God. Into our works, into our schools, into our neighborhoods. God, I just pray now 
in this time, Lord, that as we offer up our hearts to you, God, that we would just humbly come around our brokenness. God, to humbly come around our imperfections. Lord, that we would just kind of grab hold of the people that are around us, just simply look each other in the eyes and say, God is here. Jesus is calling. And that we're in it for you. Lord, I just pray, God, that it would just be a sweet time, Lord, now of your spirit, God, just bringing people to a place of repentance. Father, if there's somebody in this room now that they're saying, I, I, I don't have all that deposit into my account because I'm not in Christ. Father, they would just simply say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me, to forgive me, to restore me. time, just really believe that what God is calling us here in this place is, I know sometimes we pray and, and we seek after God, but sometimes just in, in desperation and obedience, we just need to come to the altar, just lay it all at the feet of Jesus. So we're going to have our, our men, our deacons here for you, Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you, to encourage you, to lift you up. But I just want this altar to be open to us as a church. The song that they're going to lead in is just us giving our hearts abandon over to Christ. So that's what this time is for. So Father, would you move now in your power, in your grace, in your love, in your truth. Work in hearts and do what only you can do. Our men are here. This altar is open. Let's just stand together and worship him.